whether it's a natural gas-fired thermal plant in Togo. This power plant was extremely important for the country as it helps Togo expand its baseload electricity generation. Or financing green certified accommodation for students in Nairobi. Not only are these buildings designed with full gender and disability considerations, they employ fire safety standards well above the local requirements and they meet international green building standards for water, energy and construction materials. If we don't address the infrastructure financing gap in lower income countries, projects like these can't happen. So that's where local currency solutions come in. You're listening to Blended Knowledge, a podcast from Garantco, a private infrastructure development group company set up to mobilize long-term local currency financing into domestic infrastructure in lower income countries across Africa and Asia. I'm your host, Marjolein van Kampen. Lower income countries continue to face a growing financing gap between infrastructure investments needed and the financial resources available for them. In Sub-Saharan Africa alone, the annual gap of finance for infrastructure has been estimated by the African Development Bank to range between 68 and 108 billion US dollars. And even where funding is available, it continues to be sourced largely from multilateral or development finance backed resources, which are invariably in hard currency. So despite the 11% increase in Africa's foreign direct investments to 46 billion US dollars in 2018, this still leaves a significant gap. Here to explain why local currency financing is critical to build local capital markets and why the private sector is indispensable to ending extreme poverty and boosting shared prosperity is Anoush Avasti, Vice President Operations at the Credit Guarantee and Investment Facility, CGIF. Anoush, welcome and thank you very much for participating in Garant Co's podcast on local currency financing. So why do you believe the private sector is indispensable and how important is local currency financing to boost shared prosperity in lower income countries? Thank you so much, Marjolin, for inviting us for this uh, podcast. And uh, I think uh, we have been working very closely in the local currency markets. So we do believe that private sector participation plays a very key role and is getting increasingly important towards getting sustainable local currency financing solutions. And the main reason why we think it's important is that we believe that a lot of the problems which have happened in the in, through the financial crises in the low-income low countries have largely been because of the over-dependence on hard currency financing. And this was amplified during the 1997 Asian financial crisis, where we saw that a lot of economies suffered because a lot of the corporate sector, as well as companies, were heavily dependent on hard currency financing. And uh, as you have uh, probably explored being in touch with all the multilateral development organizations, even though they do a lot of work in the low-income countries, uh, they tend to be more focused on hard currency financing. So I think uh, that is where we feel that uh, there has to be an impetus on finding solutions where companies can actually get long-term growth capital in local currency because it reduces currency mismatches 
and is also able to channelize savings of the local currency investors into instruments which can actually provide them good yield and also can also lead to the expansion of the local currency capital markets in each of these countries. I think CGIF, as we were set up, has been set up with the sole purpose of doing that. Uh, we were set up in uh, 2010 by the ASEAN governments plus China, Japan and Korea, along with ADB. And I think the main purpose for us was just to develop the local uh, currency corporate uh, bond markets in the region. And that's what we've been working on. And I think hopefully by the end of this year, we would have guaranteed about 40 bonds and with about 30 issuers in the region. And that's something which we feel is extremely key to the development of the local currency capital markets and financing solutions in the region. And which trends have you seen over the last 10 years? Perhaps you can touch on some challenges and also opportunities. So I think one of the biggest challenges for us has been investors and finding issuers who are who are credit worthy but that is the second part is something which we handle and that's something which organizations like CGIF and Garrett Co do very well because we are able to provide the credit enhancement for the the bond products or the capital market instruments which we are supporting to become uh, okay from in the investors perspective but I think the challenge for us is that a lot of the countries which we work in, especially the lower income countries, tend to be very focused on hard currency. So even if you look at in the region where we are active, say Cambodia, Laos and Myanmar, a large part of the borrowings which do take place, a large part of the business, even done by the MSMEs or the microfinance institutions, is done in dollars. And that's where I think the, the ability to create local currency financing solutions becomes a bit uh, restricted. But we are seeing that trend change. And if you look at the, the region as a whole, uh, if I just go back in history and look at Vietnam, say, 10 years back, uh, I think US dollars was pretty active as a currency there. But now if you go to Vietnam, it's largely a dong market. Uh, similarly, we are seeing similar trends in Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, which are now the low-income country uh, countries in the region. There, we are seeing an increasing trend towards doing a lot of local currency business. And as that increases, we would see investable surpluses increasing in, uh, in local currency. One good trend about the region where we work is that as they are all young populations and the income levels are growing rather fast, which means the investable surpluses in the local currencies are also growing at the same pace. Uh, if we keep the same trend, then there, it's only a matter of time that you would see uh, a lot of the insurance companies or banks or even a lot of the individuals, the high net worth individuals, seeking out local currency financial solutions and uh, or investment opportunities. And those are going to be very good uh, avenues for us to actually generate more borrowings from uh, in this uh, in local currency in the region. How do you believe those challenges can be overcome? One of the biggest challenges, obviously, is to see that we find issuers who are keen to issue in local currency. And uh, that is something we are working on very closely, not only with the issuers, but also in coming out with structures which are appealing to investors. If you look at the markets in general, uh, and I wouldn't like to typecast or stereotype uh, certain markets in this manner, but there are largely two kinds of investors. One is the investors who want long-term stable returns, which would typically be the insurance companies, the pension funds. And the second would be the investors who, who are basically okay with slightly higher risk, but would be okay with shorter-term products. 
So I think if we can find out, if we as uh, participants in the market can actually offer products across the whole spectrum, I think uh, we should be able to generate enough uh, interest in local currency financing solutions. We are also seeing a lot of work being done in uh, in poverty alleviation and uh, working towards the unbanked sectors. That is something which uh, we want to really promote very strongly, which is why we have been supporting a lot of uh, microfinance institutions in the region. And uh, that's been very successful because if you look at the low-income countries, one of the biggest constraints is financial inclusion. And currently, though a lot of the financing, is, say in a country like Cambodia, which is big in the microfinance space or Laos, is being done in US dollars. But I think there is a trend from the central banks where they are pushing all these companies to move towards local currency. So that will actually create a lot of uh, space for these solutions to develop. For us, clearly, one of the biggest ways of overcoming these challenges is to get investors comfortable with all these credits in the region and to offer structures which are prevalent in the more developed markets to these uh, smaller markets. I think once we're able to do that, we should be able to match the needs of the investors with the needs of the issuers, and, and that too in local currency, which would be very important. Thank you very much, Anush, for your kind contribution and valuable insights. I would now like to introduce Janice Kotutsang, Managing Director of Pitch Infra Solutions. She will explain why the hard currency funding gap can only be closed through the increased participation of local and regional institutional sources of capital. Janice, welcome. Why are local currency solutions necessary to address this infrastructure gap? And how important is it that these solutions prioritize capacity building across local capital markets? Thank you, Marilyn. Infrastructure revenues are in local currency. Therefore, local currency solutions are crucial. And when speaking about local currency, um, if you think back to Banking 101, we've always said if project revenues are in local currency, then it's best to finance them in local currency. This avoids a foreign exchange mismatch, which can not only be costly, but can be a reason that a really good project can fail. Now, historically, it may have been a challenge to find um, local currency solutions, but with a growing sophisticated banking and deepening capital market environment, a number of low-income countries are now ready to have local currency solutions solve their infrastructure funding gap. Now, to get to the local banking and capital markets, you know, get them participating in the growing pipeline of projects, capacity building is key. There's an information asymmetry in the infrastructure finance market. Sponsors always complain that they can't get funding, whilst investors and lenders always complain that there aren't enough bankable projects. Capacity building can help bridge this gap to help investors understand the opportunities that lie with alternative investments in infrastructure, whilst also providing more visibility on the growing pools of local currency liquidity. Not to mention that involving local lenders helps to build local capacity to finance future projects. And Janice, along this, there are also added benefits. Is that right? Absolutely. Local currency solutions will translate to less risk and therefore less cost to the ultimate payers of infrastructure, whilst also reducing on foreign exchange reserve pressures. Local currency financing involves the productive recycling of savings within a country rather than increasing the country's external debt burden. 
And how do guarantees encourage local currency solutions? Guarantees provide an important catalyst and multiplier effect on expanding local bank, pension fund and institutional participation in local currency financing. And this can be directed towards capital intensive industries such as infrastructure, where longer maturity profiles are a necessity. Guarantees also encourage this by offering credit-enhancing attributes that improve the risk profile and rating of local currency credit, thus providing investors a permissible framework in enabling them to participate in providing this longer-term financing. And finally, could you explain how Garantco has placed local currency guarantees at the forefront of its work across Africa and Asia? Garanko has pioneered innovative products such as its liquidity and tenor extension products, which have been crucial in enabling important regional infrastructure investments. And this has allowed local banks to offer longer maturity profiles and address liquidity and short-term lending restrictions that many of them currently face. Thank you very much, Janice. And to now give you an example of Garantco's pioneering methods, in 2019, we supported the construction of the Kakeli Efficient Power Projects in Togo. Investment Director Tola Odukumaya is here with the details. So Tola, could you please tell us about this power project in Togo? Thank you, Marie-Elaine, and hello. It is a 65 megawatt natural gas fired thermal plant including related infrastructure in the port area of Lumi, the capital of Togo. This power plant was extremely important for the country as it helps Togo expand its baseload electricity generation, which is crucial in allowing the government to upskill domestic generation with sustainable and renewable energy generation going forward. And what did Garantco do to support this project? We provided a 4.2 billion West African CFA francs liquidity extension guarantee, which is equivalent to about 23.8 million US dollars. It was to enable local commercial banks in Togo to provide a 14-year tenor loan to the project. Due to both internal treasury constraints, as well as regulatory constraints, the banks required a solution that helped them extend the tenor of their loan from what would have been a seven-year loan to a 14-year loan. Garanko was able to provide a guarantee to do just that. And Garanko has supported renewable energy in the region before, haven't we? That is correct. In 2017, we provided a guarantee for Mali's first large-scale solar plant, the 50-megawatt Aqua Kita solar project. The project also includes transmission infrastructure connecting it to the local electricity grid and benefits the country in several ways, including increasing installed generation capacity, contributing notably to tax revenues, creating an important amount of jobs for the local population. Thank you, Tola. Another more recent example is the support that we provided to fund the construction of accommodation for 5,000 students in Nairobi. Philip Skinner, Managing Director of Garantco's Global Execution Team is here with the details. So Phil, why is this student accommodation needed in Nairobi? 
Hi, Mary Elaine. Uh, yes, so look, uh, student numbers in Kenya have been growing significantly uh, from a base of about 27,000 students in 1990 to about 550,000 today. I mean, this is a real success story, but whilst enrollment numbers are up, the number of beds provided by the universities is only at about 40,000, leaving a huge deficit, which is inhibiting a fully rounded university education for thousands of students. This need for purpose-built student accommodation was identified by ACORN, who have been working hard to develop a private sector solution to deliver this critical infrastructure. Starting in 2015, they have now completed three student accommodation blocks, catering for around 1,600 students in Nairobi. And I'm very proud to say that ACORN have now partnered with the Pidge Group to help further their mission. And can you tell us a little bit more about the construction work itself? Yeah, sure. ACORN have been incredibly forward-looking in their design principles. Not only are these buildings designed with full gender and disability considerations, they employ fire safety standards well above the local requirements, and they meet international green building standards for water, energy, and construction materials. These green building standards are certified by the IFC under the IFC EDGE criteria. This has allowed ACORN to raise finance under the internationally recognized green certification scheme of the Climate Bonds Initiative. And you mentioned that this is being built by ACORN. So what has Garantco done to support ACORN in order to make this project possible? Well, ACORN correctly identified that local currency institutional investors, that's local asset managers, pension funds and the like, were the most natural fit for funding their projects. This is because student accommodation revenues are stable and long term. In fact, they are highly resilient to economic downturn as education is one of the last things people will stop spending their money on. However, the corporate bond market in Kenya, where institutional investors typically invest, has been largely dormant for a number of years due to a lack of investor confidence. Garanko was able to address this confidence issue by providing a partial risk guarantee to investors looking to invest in Acorn's projects. So last year, we helped the company raise 4.3 billion Kenyan shillings, that's around $43 million, with a green bond that was listed on the Nairobi Securities Exchange and the London Stock Exchange. This represented a number of firsts for the market and for Kenya, including the first green bond issued in East Africa and the first Kenyan shilling bond listed on the London Stock Exchange. Thank you very much, Phil. And last but not least, we have the CEO of Acorn Holdings, Edward Kirata. Edward, thank you very much for joining us. Listening to Phil, Acorn and Garantco have reached some significant milestones together in a short period of time. Could you please tell us how Acorn has benefited from Pitch and Garantco's support? Yeah, thank you very much, Marjolaine, and thank you for hosting me on this uh, session. So undertaking rental housing in Africa has two significant challenges. One is you've got to build an operating capability uh, to be able to run those buildings at scale, but also you've got to find appropriate financing for your your projects. And uh, there's very few places to get that type of financing. We started off ourselves with USD financing for both equity and debt. 
Uh, but this was challenging as our revenue is 100% in Kenya shillings. So we had a huge mismatch between our source of capital and the revenue we were generating. And of course, for any uh, investor, this is uh, gives you sleepless nights. And of course, when you think about it, projects in Africa in themselves are inherently risky due to the volatility and uncertainties. Now, once you add on forex risk, this creates a huge burden and, and increases risk tremendously uh, in, in execution. It was in these circumstances that we met Garantco, who worked very closely with us to help structure local currency medium-term note. Uh, it's a $50 million note, but in local currency, so about Kenya five, shillings, $5 billion, that ended up becoming the first green housing bond in Africa. And, and this bond has been highly beneficial to us. It's helping us deliver 5,000 beds. And, you know, with the new developments uh, and uh, with COVID-19 pandemic, one starts to see really the benefit of local currency funding because the Kenya shilling has devalued significantly against the US dollar. We are not worrying about that now, but we would have been supremely worried had we not found a way to uh, secure local currency financing. And Garant Cause Guarantee is the one that enabled us to go to market and raise this uh, funding. Uh, during this time as well, uh, Garantco has come in again to provide us a technical assistance facility that has enabled us to provide our construction workers with personal protective equipment. These workers are the most vulnerable part of our supply chain. This funding allowed us to continue the construction uh, works with the workers working in a safe way, able to earn a living during this difficult time. So this kind of additionality has proved to be uh, one of the, the benefits of working with the Garantco. Not to mention that Garantco also provided us in the initial phases of structuring the green bond with technical facility support, helping us with the, some of the legal and other specialist works that were involved uh, in, in, in that. And of course, through, the, through our involvement with Garantco, we met the wider Pidge family, um, including Emerging Africa Infrastructure Fund, who anchored the green bond with a 30% uh, commitment. The partial guarantee provided by Garantco allowed us then to secure a very good Moody's rating and the investment from Emerging Africa Infrastructure Fund then allowed us to crowd in the local institutional investors. So we got another seven local institutional investors. And that's how we were able to do the first close of the bond, which uh, raised 85% of the total bond against a minimum threshold of 40%. So you could see that the guarantees, the Moody's rating, and of course the EAIF support helped us to get there. And we will be going back to market in the early part of 2021 for the final tranche. So it, in our into our mind, you know, the bond has been uh, extremely successful, which couldn't have happened without uh, that support. More recently, we have been working with another PG entity, Infraco Africa, to set up two REITs that we then label a to raise permanent long-term local currency financing from the local capital markets. 
and thereby establish a sustainable long-term solution to our local currency financing. Infraco Africa has just recently uh, committed uh, about $10 million, which will again be in local currency support, to become the anchor investor in the ACON student development REIT and ACON student income REIT, which allow us now to go to the local market and raise even additional uh, capital. So this is the kind of local currency financing that truly will make uh, projects like such as ours sustainable in the African context. So it is clear that guarantees are strongly positioned to act as a critical component in scaling up risk mitigations in lower income countries, allowing the growth of local currency financing. In the face of the debilitating finance gap in those countries, providing comfort and avenues to local pension funds and private institutional investors is crucial in growing long-term local currency financing and addressing the challenge of closing the infrastructure financing gap across Africa and Asia. Thank you for listening to the local currency financing episode of Garantco's Blended Knowledge podcast series. If you would like to find out more about our approach and vision, please visit garantco.com.